0: I'm an independent podcaster, and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: Welcome to See Westworld Right. It's Stephen Ray Morris. We're just hours away from the season three premiere. Really got under the radar here, but it's fine. Season two, even bigger than season one, if you're just... Tuning in, be sure to listen to the the last episode of *See Westworld*. Right, West. Oh man, *See Westworld*. Right, was all about season one of the new TV show adaptation of *Westworld* remake, TV television show remake of *Westworld*. Anyway, it's very exciting. Season one, quite possibly one of my favorite first seasons of all television. Top of the Lake, although I haven't seen season two yet of Top of the Lake. Marcella, another great first season. Uh, with this prestige television, it's actually very exciting because I feel like these first seasons are in some ways... I feel I feel like with old school TV, shows had to grow. Futurama, X-Files had to grow into greatness, where really, <laughs> really, Westworld just hits the ground running. But that's not where we're here. We're here to talk about season two today. Also, hope everyone's doing fine. Quarantine, you know, all that stuff. Everyone's staying safe, washing your goddamn hands. Uh, it's in the hands. And yeah, everyone's staying healthy and safe and... All stocked up on what you need. It couldn't have been the more perfect time to binge Westworld. Okay. So, so season one, season two. All right. Here we go. Uh, how did I want to get into that? I tried recording, uh, I tried recording last night. Uh, my review recap of season two in a car and in a boat on a plane on a train. Uh, but I just decided to wait until I could get in the studio. Anyway, if you're just to catch you up on season one, I mean, that's the thing. I, the, 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 the number one thing that, cause I didn't, I, it was nice to go into this show entirely with no spoilers. I mean, I knew a thing here or there. I obviously had seen the original movie, but the first season, I think there's a reason why the first... Se- well, okay. I guess I have to preface this by saying that the I didn't go into season two with any spoilers. And I didn't even necessarily read up on any literature about uh, either season before watching them, which is nice. And it'll be interesting going into season three, watching it in real time. Because starting tomorrow, I will be recapping each episode uh, only eight... Uh, I, I think I think having this next season be only eight episodes is probably a good call. Uh, I'll, I'll say right off the bat, I think 10 episodes for season two is a little long, uh, considering how much of the show revolves around this kind of, not Groundhog's Day, but kind of looping reverie. It's very like Inception on the Beach sort of thing. And... You know, so it was, I mean, the last episode, last episode of season one was longer than the original movie, and certainly most of the episodes of season two were pretty dang long. We're almost, it almost felt like every episode was feature length, movie feature length. There was only, I mean, all of them were over an hour, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Season one is just such a perfect little piece of television because it had um, this kind of core, drive of Dolores, played by Rachel Wood and, uh, Maeve, played by Thanny Newton and Bernard slash spoilers now. By the way, spoil, we're jump, we're, might as well jump into spoilers now. Bernard slash Arnold, uh, played by Jeffrey Wright and, there not to say that I mean, it's not like season one was was watching, I don't know, um, you know, Terminator or something like that. Like, you know, there was the dual timelines and everything in season one, but season two definitely plays more with the timey wiminess and stuff in a way because Jeffrey Wright's memories are, or um Jeffrey Wright, uh, Bernard's memories are scrambled, and also I think because the dual timeline in it, the converging timeline in Westworld Season 2 is, they're closer together. It's not like, oh, here's the present and then here's 30 years ago. The, the, the dual timeline in Westworld Season 2 is basically a week away from each other. And the, with the structure of the season, you are just basically meeting in the middle of the two timelines and stuff. Um, that's, that's, I'm starting to guess, kind of recap Season 2. Uh, So I think that made it a little bit more confusing personally. Although I don't, I mean, I I think they were purposely obfuscating some of the time stuff uh, on purpose in season two because of the nature of what's going on with Bernard. I mean, in season two, everyone is so driven by this desire to, because they have uncovered the truth at the end of season one, that there is this kind of like narrow fuel drive that um, makes all the characters kind I mean, it's just just interesting that way. And yeah, going into season two, I didn't really know anything other than that. I, I knew how people had reacted to it in that sense. I didn't know the specifics of it, but it seemed like everyone said that season two was not as good, that a lot of people gave up halfway through. Shout out, Marissa. I only just knew that people didn't like it as much as the first, but... I think that's the problem. I mean, you have this great setup. You have this beautiful drive. You, I mean, uh, Evan Rachel Wood is so amazing as Dolores and Mavis and Thandie Newton as Maeve and Jeffrey Wright. You have all these characters like truly uncovering the, gl- this global conspiracy inside of Westworld and season two really can only go deeper and deeper. And, uh, <laughs> and I think that if, if Westworld season one, was Jurassic Park. Westworld season two is the rest of the franchise. If Westworld season one is the Matrix, the Westworld season two is Revolutions and Reload, or Reloaded and Revolutions. It's, you have this brilliant concept, and your only choice is to deconstruct it and to dismantle it. And in a way, I can understand why that's maybe not as satisfying. So... I think that's kind of the frame of mind that I was at when I was watching. Again, I didn't know any spoilers per se. I just was more of in this space of like, okay, is this the thing that people don't like about it? Is this the thing people don't like about this season? So let's just get into it. Again, at the end of season one, we leave off. I got my notes. Again, I took a page of notes per each episode. It's so much fun. Uh, I posted season one already on the Instagram, and I'll probably post this. Uh, right after the episode, right after this episode comes out, I should say, um, of all my notes and everything like that. Again, this season had 10 episodes and pretty much all your favorites are back. Uh Really, the only character that doesn't come back from season one in a meaningful way is uh S- Sidzi, who played Teresa, uh, Cullen. She was the, she was the Claire of, uh, Westworld, the kind of park operations manager. And she's murdered by Bernard at the end of season one. Uh, and then Isra, I mean, new cast members, Tessa Thompson's role is expanded in this, but pretty much everybody's coming back, um, from the first season. Although you have, uh, Zon, uh, McLernan as Ak- Akichta, Ak- Araki, I guess, is, I think, uh, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins also is in the season a lot more than I thought he would be, uh, considering he gets his b- brains blown out by Dolores at the end of season one. But he's a ghost, a digital ghost. But yeah, pretty much everybody comes back in a big way. And it's nice to see little bits of uh, characters getting their due. I think I remembered to say that, uh, who like... Um, Armistice and, uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? Armistice and Hector, who were kind of the two main muscle sidekicks to Maeve, Sandy Newton, they, their roles are expanded. Sadly, Lutz and Sylvester, um, who were, um, Leonardo Nam and Ptolemy Slocum, their roles are a little bit reduced. I was kind of bummed about that. Uh, that they they didn't have as much to do this season, but I mean, you got your favorites there. You got you got Evan Rachel Wood, you got Thandie Newton, you got Jeffrey Wright, James Marston. I think his role of Teddy, he doesn't have like a huge huge. I mean, he's truly this sort of muscle and love for Dolores, but his journey, but his sad journey in this in season two is actually really great. And again, Tessa Thompson as Charlotte Hale, the the executive. Where she goes is wild, twists, turns, you know, all the great stuff. Got uh, Simon Quarterman as Lee, who's who is like the shouty D- Project Runway diva. At the B- you know in season one, he has a great journey in season two. Ed Harris as the Man in Black, Sesh William, because again, it's revealed in season one that the character of William, played by Jimmy Simpson, was actually actually becomes the Man in Black, uh, Ed Harris's character, because he's been in the game for so long in trying to figure out the riddle of the maze, uh, which. I guess to put it simply, the maze was a game in season one, essentially there for the for the robots to gain their sentience, sort of, sort of Spoiler, more spoilers, I guess. Elsie comes back. We thought she was killed by Bernard because, you know, Bernard, uh, you know, we learned that Jeffrey Wright is a robot a host, excuse me. And, you know, just a puppet for Ford. But we, but she comes back in a way that's really fun and interesting. She doesn't necessarily become this full blown. I mean, she, she has the same level of involvement as the first one, but I was glad that she came back after a couple episodes. Um, Lawrence is back. Ugh. And Collins Jr., so great. Anyway, I could keep going on and on and on. Uh, I mean, maybe the biggest new guest star in this season, uh, I, well, you get to see more of, of jimmy simpson who's young william and ben barnes as logan again they're not in it as much but you do get to see a lot more uh just you, you get to see other sides of them and stuff and from when they're out of westworld uh during the time of the first the first timeline or whatever 30 years ago um but uh ben barnes who's the son of the owner of westworld or who buys Westworld, I guess, or whatever. James Delos. He's played by Peter Mullen, who is a great Death Eater in Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 1. Um, but he's a great Scottish actor and he, he ends up actually playing kind of a significant role in some later episodes. And he was great. I mean, you know, I, again, framing it in this way of like, what don't people like about it? There's so much to love. Oh, Luke Hemsworth is back. I don't think he has as much to do as Stubbs in this, but you know, he's still a great presence to have around and he has some greater moments near the end of the season as well too. But let's see, what do I want to talk about first? So yeah. So season, season two begins with, or, you know, it, it picks up right where after Dolores is like, you know what, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to kill Dr. Ford, Anthony Hopkins, and it's revolution time. And the season two operates in this way of it's the host trying to get out of of Westworld and and it's the uh, and the humans trying to survive in Westworld and trying to get out and so but there's this kind of catch where if you remember at the end of season one they're trying to smuggle out the data uh, they're trying to smuggle out this data of the park out as like an insurance policy for because all of it's going to shit. It's kind of like in the late the <laughs> the last two Jurassic Park World movies involve Henry Wu, BD Wong being like, clean it up. Let's get out of here. You know, like like just trying to save what you have and trying to salvage what you have. But the big thrust of season two on that perspective is that what they're trying to smuggle out and what De- what Delos, the company, again, it's this very classic Michael Crichton, you know, uh, big business comes first over science, over progress, over people. And what it turns out is that the the whole park itself isn't necessarily about the 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 host but it's a, it's basically this very mundane evil of like data breaching and collecting all your user data and selling it to advertisers and it's like i think on some level that's probably why people did not like season two as much because that first half of season two i think it, it doesn't spill the beans on this idea that ultimately what it really is about is human immortality and how rich people basically all the, you know, if all your data about you is collected in an environment where you truly are yourself, you know, they say, uh, that in Westworld, you're free from judgment. You're, I think Ed Harris. Yeah. At some point in this season, he's delighted because now he can actually be killed by the hosts. So now the game is real. Um, and he at some point he's like you know this is a place free from god's judgment like where god can't watch you and sort of thing and yeah it's it's this kind of thing where yes they're collecting all your data and everything selling to advertisers whatever but then ultimately they're collecting all your data Uh, you know you're the near the end of the uh, the second season it's like literally collecting all your the human what did i write that that this kind of the, the system itself, I was like, if, if like at the end of this whole story, Dolores confronts a Cthulhu type, like, uh, digital monster or something, I'm going to be so pissed. But there is something similar to that in the sense where they go into the system and in it is collected every human that's ever gone to Westworld, like some, a few million people. And that humans can literally be boiled down to 10,247 lines of data that essentially The, the whole struggle with the bigger of the overarching evil plot is like, Oh, we want to recreate humans and then humans can be immortal. So if you die, we'll just take an exact copy of your brain and every, you know, what makes you you, put it into a host body so that you're sort of, uh, you know, a half human, half host hybrid and that you can continue to live forever. But ultimately, you know, by the end of the season, it's like, it's, it's, you know, there's just a scene with, peter mullen where it's full on like sam neill event horizon just like ah, like face cut and covered in blood and everything it's just like you're driven mad because i mean i think what they're trying you know what part of it's trying to say is that like we're humans aren't supposed to live forever and so part of dolores's journey in this is discovering all this stuff and her kind of um heart of darkness kind of I want to wipe out all humans because we're the next evolution of the species. And I guess that's I'll I'll go into to I think why people didn't like season two as much. And I think it's because I think Maeve Thandie Newton, she's rejecting her programming and saying like, sure, I could get out of the park and and you know that's my narrative but I even though I know that my daughter isn't real that she's just another host that I was programmed to have you know this tragic everyone's got to have a tragic backstory uh, Maeve's choosing her fate and that good and that whole storyline uh is a huge part of the middle of the season where she, where her crew her and her crew go to shogun world japan world um feudal japan world i should say and she meets up with other doppelgangers and all that stuff and they it, that whole thing anyway i'll get to that more but i think it's because it's the um, season two all the main characters it's not that they're they're unlikable for they're unlikable for a reason you know i think dolores has kind of become the mad king uh, she's you know i don't want i want like it's all about it's kind of the matrix style of like what is free will and she's like i want freedom like nothing nothing less than absolute freedom and choice is what i want i'm willing to destroy everyone uh, in my way to get it and so I, I think that just makes for a very unlikable character. And I think in the first season, you really got to get inside Dolores's head and her discovery that the world is not what it seems is so compelling that I think having her kind of be I, I just think her main quest is sort of um I mean, in for purposely made that way to be sort of frightening in a way, you know, you frighten me Dolores. And so I think that's one reason why maybe people weren't relating to season two as much. And then by making Bernard's journey, cause you know, he was Arnold, he dies and then he's brought back as Bernard. And it's like, whose side is he on? Uh, it's like full princess Mononoke situation, Ashitaka kind of thing going on. And, but then he purposely screws up his, uh, brain, so, which is why the dual timeline to me isn't necessarily confusing, but it's just like, it's just kind of, it's so subtle that I think it, it can be kind of a little bit frantic at times. And so I, that, to me almost feels like it's a little bit it's it's just a lot of like jeffrey being like what huh what's going on no you know like for most of the season but then it it pays off beautifully and i think that was the thing i was thinking a lot about while watching season two i was like because it's like anything the first thing is so perfect it's great but a lot of times the second season it can go deeper but but it's but it maybe doesn't have the, the highs and lows of the first season, but I think overall it was more consistent or I don't know. It was it. <laughs> I also think that, that, that season two had this problem of because as we're about to watch season three, uh, tonight, th- season three is in the real world and it's you, it's, it's been building towards this idea of, you know, kind of this X-Men sort of thing. Like, will the robot or the animatrix, like, will the robots be treated with kindness? And how will people react to the hosts out in the real world? How will the hosts react to what the real world is like? And so I I think it's the same problem with Jurassic park where it's like the original concept is so delicious, but I don't know if season two needed to be entirely in the park again, especially because the park wasn't working. I almost had this thought that maybe like things would go back to normal and uh, things go back to normal and the parks reopen and stuff like that. But no, the whole second season is just things running amok. And in a weird way, it almost feels like a giant epilogue to season one as opposed to its own thing, but I understand that the park is just so cool, you want to stay in there for longer. It's my thing where obviously Jurassic Park had a problem for a long time with it's like, well, why are people going back to this island with dinosaurs? Like you're literally having to kidnap or a threat of rescue, or threat of rescue, rescue, or kidnapping in order to get people back to the island. And I I think in some ways I think there there could have been a version of the new Jurassic World trilogy where Fallen Kingdom is the first movie where it's you have these people who maybe aren't connected to uh the because the the volcano happens regardless whether or not there was an original Jurassic Park or another Jurassic Park there still would have been dinosaurs on the on Isla Nublar regardless if there had been a Jurassic World and you could have just had this new team of people get involved and just people who heard about the original park and cared and then the th- second movie is and then the first movie is the volcano stuff. And then the second movie is getting people is, is the sort of on the mainland Lockwood mansion dinosaur starting to spread. And then the third movie is full, full dino spread, uh, whatever. Uh, but instead they wanted to have the original park again, or they wanted to have an open Jurassic park, which again, I love, I wanted to see that. Um, but it almost, there's like a little bit of redundancy there. Um, And you wonder if you could have... Couldn't we have moved on from this original concept? Haven't we done this already? And so I think that's a problem with Westworld a little bit too. It's that they could have devised it in a way that you could have gotten to the real world like halfway through season two. But I don't think that's what they wanted. I think they really wanted to explore the real world fully in its own season. But then I think that makes the second season suffer a little bit. Because... Especially with Maeve, I think... I mean, I love Maeve. I mean, her storyline is always the most fun out of any storyline. You have her uh, with uh Lee Sizemore, you know, and her drive to get her daughter back. But so much of season two is... And again, it's like that thing. It's like that delicious original concept. It's like we get to go into Edo world. We get to go into feudal Japan world and we get to see Rinko Kakuchi as kind of like the um, mave doppelganger and all that. I mean, it's, there's literally a, um, bizarro Seinfeld moment where, <laughs> and it's, uh, Lee Sizemore's like, yeah, you try writing 300 stories in three weeks. And it's like literally the same storyline plays out, but in this samurai, uh, tea house kind of scenario where instead of the brothel, it's the tea house. Well, I guess the tea house was a brothel, but in these same things playing out, it's, it's the most like openly absurd kind of humor in the entire series. Although it gets very serious, but it, some of that stuff, I think it, it's that thing. It's like you want to give it time to develop, but because it's part of Sandy Newton's journey, it it's that thing of like, it's cool, but it equally feels superfluous and filler-ish. And again, because Dolores is on this very, mm, just this very like kind of single-minded purpose and how that ruins the people around her you never really get to get inside her head as much this season and I think that's also maybe why people didn't like this as well because she's kind of just staring strong and silently out at people being like and these clouds have so much beauty you know it's like but then they stabbed every I don't know whatever I can't really do um, Dolores but uh, <laughs> but I can yeah I can see why people might not find that as compelling for sure yeah, it's so I mean there's there's just so much going on. Um and again it's the the dual timeline is uh a lot. I do love the 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 purpose of it though, this kind of like converging timeline. I love that we got to see outside Westworld that Dolores went out into the real world as almost like um Oh, that was my Congo connection was because Amy the gorilla was taken on display and being like, here's this new technology. And again, it's like Dolores and these other hosts are taken at Angela Tulula Riley's character are like taken out on display for, uh, you know, for people to kind of see. But yeah, it almost feels like season two is a little bit of Game of Thronesy where the the first season really intercut between all the characters pretty evenly. And I think in order to tell some of these stories, season two had to kind of really, you know, here's an episode that's mostly just Bernard and then one other person. And then here's a story that's mostly just Maeve. And again, in the middle of the season, you go off into Japan for like two or three episodes and it feels more fragmented. And I think, again, that's a little bit more, that's a little bit purposeful, but it's these, the revelations in Season two aren't don't feel as momentous because there's more of them in a way. So it kind of dilutes it. But then again, you get some of the best storytelling where you're able to kind of just focus on one particular story. And I think the, you know, Westworld had been I I had just been curious about the Native American representation in it because obviously, at the be, you know, it's supposed to be this fantasy, this sort of cowboys and, and Indians kind of thing. And, you know, the kind of stereotypes and stuff. And so, I mean, I would be curious to look into it more like, uh, I mean, um, what's his face? Uh, let me pull up my notes. Uh, Zon McLaren. And there was a bonus feature at the end of in episode, episode eight, Kiksuya is is again as a product of this more fragmented storyline, is essentially its own movie of this Native American character and of multiple Native American characters in Westworld, and a journey across the entire timeline and how um, Akichta. A- a- uh, how his role is so vital to basically how the, the, the host gains sentience. That the Native American characters were there first because their kind of, uh, spiritual beliefs, uh, he was, because, you know, part of season one was that creepy factor of like, you know, the hosts are killed or whatever, brought into repairs in this foreign world they're kind of either kept asleep or like on standby or whatever and you know memories are erased and then thrown back up to be you know played with by the humans again and so um, Akechita was the first one to sort of wake up and realize and sort of remember and it's about his love that is taken from him and this kind of awareness of all the lives that he's lived in this world in searching for a way out and so yeah, that storyline was. I mean, it's truly the most beautiful, pure emo I mean, again, it's like season one. This one episode is just kind of allowed to focus on this one character's emotional journey, and it's done so well. And yeah, there was a bonus feature at the end where uh, all the actors were, you know, were actual native character, you know, were actual native people and stuff. So I wonder how much input they had on the story and you know what the ghost nation is and stuff like. I mean, if anybody has more information about that, I'd love to know. But again, it's one of those things where. It's the good and the bad with season two, where I, I'm so grateful that we, that if they had decided to pack things up and get out of the park halfway through the season, we wouldn't get an episode like that. You know, the sad thing is that those stories wouldn't be told as much. And so I appreciate, uh, feudal Japan world, (laughs) Edo world, shogun world, and the Akichita storyline, uh, the ghost nation storyline, but, um, it's just that kind of thing in order it it's in order to tell these different angles and stuff you're kind of, and that's why I mean like the matrix revolutions of it all where that movie was really interesting to me at the time because so much of the movie is not about the main character. So much of it is the path of the one leads or the path of the many leads the path of one or whatever. But again, it sort of derails the momentum of of the main storyline because you are going off and focusing on these little groups and stuff and focusing on these smaller stories which again i i i love that we did it but i think that kind of especially in a show where again i don't think the westworld is like super complicated but i think in a storyline where you are kind of messing with people's heads a bit and asking these big questions it, it, it it i think momentum really helps in making it make sense And I can imagine, excuse me, watching season two from week to week, that having these storylines where you're going away from our main characters for a whole episode, I feel like that's what happened with Game of Thrones in the last couple of seasons, people were talking about. And yeah, it just kind of kills that kind of, because if we talk about this kind of binge television and this prestige television serialized storytelling as being like one long movie or something, but it isn't one long movie because you wouldn't go off on a tangent like this in a movie. And so the great thing about television is that you can go on these tangents, you can go on these re, re-jiggering of stories making you think because again, I think that the the uh Kuksuya, the Native American episode about Akichta and his and his journey, I think it goes a long way in kind of making you rethink the sort of uh, racist stereotypes of season one and it rejiggers in a way where like okay I get the point they were you know this was this fantasy and people thought this way but now now that we know the story behind that it makes you want to relook at it in a different way and you can see the layers there and stuff I don't know maybe Yeah, it's just interesting. I, season two. I mean, it's funny. I feel like I've been talking for for about thirty minutes, and I feel like I don't know. I don't. I don't feel that in in a weird way. With even though season one, that whole thing, you know, there was that first love of like season one is just so explosively fun and and amazing. And season two is great. I, I do think it's great. And I think if you love these characters, I think you'll love those journeys. I haven't even talked about Ed Harris's character, about the man in black. I think season two, I think his, I think for my money, I think his journey in season two is probably even better than season one. I think it gets deeper. And this idea that they kind of flip the head on the sort of Terminator... Yul Brenner concept where you realize that the man in black is a man who became, (laughs) I was reading some review, I think either like io nine. Yeah. I think it was io nine talking about it's like in this io nine article catching you up with season two, or maybe it was collider. Anyway, sorry if I am getting this quote wrong, but it was like, imagine if Jeff Bezos went to six flags and just rode, rode the same roller coaster over and over again in a weird, like obsessed kind of way. And that's essentially what Ed Harris is. He's this super rich guy who took over the company of Delos. And because he has felt like he's a bad man on the inside, he's looking for redemption or looking for a confirmation that he truly is a bad, evil person. And what was so great about season two is that you learn how that affects. You learn how that actually affected him in the real world and how he drove everyone away uh, you know, you learn that, uh, Ben Barnes, Logan's character, his buddy, his brother-in-law basically just dies of a, dies a drug addict. And, you know, he takes over the company from, from James Delos, from Peter Mullen in this kind of very like subtle, slimy way. And you learn, a, I think they say in season one that, you know, his wife, uh, um, his wife died by suicide, but then you actually learn the story behind that. It's so funny. I was like, is that Marsha Clark? Is that Marsha Gayharden? Nope, it's C. LaWard. So in my notes, if you see the notes in the picture, C. LaWard pl- does so great as his wife in this one episode where you get to see basically that night and kind of what, I mean, imagine, imagine if you had a loved one or a friend and you get to see what they do in Westworld, you'd be pretty horrified. <laughs> like, oh God, is that what my friend's doing when nobody's watching? Um Anyway, it's very interesting. And then you have the character of Emily, who is William's daughter. And that, that part is truly heartbreaking. And she, I mean, she's so cool. In the first part of season two, there's six Westworld parks. And in season one, you learn about the Shogun world, which you see a bunch in this season. And then you also see very briefly the Raj, which is <laughs> in my notes, I wrote British colonialism world, British colonialism world. I was like, do you think that their host, uh do you think if you wandered in that world long enough, you would find the Beatles stundering under the Maharishi? But yeah, there's British colonialism, the Raj. And that's where uh, Ed Harris's, uh The Man in Black, William's daughter, comes in, and she's basically coming to get her dad back because he's become so absorbed in the game. And, I mean, it just ends in such a heartbreaking way. And maybe I'll... I mean, I'll just say the spoiler now. Post-credits of this entire season, it turns out that maybe The Man in Black himself has been a host this whole time because at some point during the events of... The I guess the first two seasons he ends up murdering his daughter because he's become so delusional uh, that this is all a game that Ford has is playing against him. That in a way it's like that's the like he it's confirmed he truly is you know gone off the deep end and and that the post credit scene of season two is that in the future. They, because the idea again it, just to go back to it briefly that if you're taking a human brain and trying to put it in one of these hosts ultimately the the human brain rejects the reality because in a way we're so we're too simple and we can't handle the complexities or something like that. So yeah you see that in the far in the future that you know there' that but it didn't work but maybe it finally worked with, Uh, the man in black. And it'd be interesting to see how they pick up that storyline at the beginning of season three, if they do at all. Um, I've seen a couple glimpses of Ed Harris in the trailer for season three. So he's in it, but I don't know what his role is, but I would say as far as fleshing a character out, making, making you feel deeper, giving them a real emotional journey that you can clearly see. uh, I think Ed Harris's journey in season two, I think is better than season one. I think, I think the emotional journeys of Dolores and and Bernard, especially, are not as clear uh, in season two, and I think that I think that probably contributed to people kind of not wanting to keep up. I, again, it was this thought of like, for me, if season two sticks the landing, then it's a it's a good season, it's a great season. But if it doesn't, then I totally get it. But I I think it really does stick the landing. I think. I because I, so eventually James Marsden he you know is he'll follow Dolores to the ends of the earth but eventually he sees what uh, what Dolores is becoming where it's like I will kill human I will kill host I do not care it's like what is free will anyway it's like we're all on loops you know does it really matter but it's like no I have to get to the ultimate it's like but who cares about the ultimate truth if it doesn't affect your daily. because there's this element of there's basically a robo Eden where the host can be free and live their lives. And I think in a, in one of the special features, you know, it said like in those special features docs that play after the episodes on the HBO now app, basically it's like if the host can go into this, like robo Eden that Ford created and they're completely cut off from the human world, then they can create their own reality. And technically isn't that still that's just an alternate reality it's not like they're still you know in Dolores' mind she's like but they're still slaves it's like are they I don't know I think if there's no way for them to be to be touched by humanity in that way I think it's it's I I think there's a case to be made in which I think and which is the case I feel like Bernard makes where it's like like we're splitting hairs at this point like with with notions of free will if free will is a sick joke i don't know but uh <laughs> yeah so what was the point i was making about that um but yeah i mean i'm just curious Oh, what what was the point? I got lost in my own thoughts there for a second. So forgive me. But yeah, I think the emotional journeys. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I know what I was going to say. Um <laughs> So for Teddy, you know, his journey was being like the puppy dog to to Dolores. But then when he sees how far Dolores is willing, to, it's like. I don't need the whole world. I don't need to conquer Westworld. I don't need to dominate the human world. I just, I want to just space where I can be at peace. And Dolores isn't happy with that. And I think his, his failure or his, like his sort of realizing of who she is. I think to me that is kind of in the later half of season two. I think that to me is really when it starts to pick up for Evan Rachel Wood for Dolores' character, where you realize, where she kind of realizes, well, she realizes that she is going too far, but she doesn't care. And I, I think, again, it's this idea, there, there just is such a point in the middle of season two where you're kind of like, where is this going? Like, well, are these big reveals adding up to something bigger? And I don't think they necessarily do, but that's fine. Again, I think that, again, it's that idea that season one just had this very like, clear-headed goal and yeah i think season two ends in smaller revelations but i think the setup for season three is just so good and you know twist kind of turn you know thing where it turns out when bernard bernard kills dolores but then realizes that like oh i still need her in a way because the humans are as bad as she says they are um he ends up killing Tessa Thompson's character, Charlotte, and then putting Dolores's pearl or her brain inside Charlotte. So Charlotte's been, Dol- Dolores has been Charlotte for most of the season in this dual timeline, in the timeline that, cause the two time, I'm, I don't know why I'm explaining this now, but the two timelines are basically like right after season one and then two weeks later. And then again, those timelines converge. Um, and so essentially, Dolores uses Charlotte's body or a host version of her body to get out of the park and that's how season one ends is uh, uh, Dolores as Charlotte gets out of the park uh, with five pearls is what they're called her the brains and it's, it's like which five which uh, five hosts did she leave with and at the end of you know at the very last couple scenes you see Dolores and Bernard at um Arnold's house, basically Arnold, the original Jeffrey Wright character has a house and inside the, like the basement is like a mini <laughs> is like a home brewing kit for hosts. And so at the end you have this interesting notion of, um, and again, it's very princess Mononoke to me where it's almost like there's this balance of dark and light where, uh, even though Bernard helped Dolores at the end, he fundamentally disagrees that you don't like, you don't need to. You don't need to take over the world. You know, like you can take a take a day off. You know, um, but Dolores decides to keep Bernard around because I think that push and pull, uh, and maybe that's saying something about creativity and artistry as a whole. It's like you kind of need the push and pull um, in order to uh, thrive. And so she keeps Bernard around. And then there's also Charlotte, but who is like? But Tessa Thompson doesn't talk at the end, so you're like, is this like? Charlotte's brain is it and is Dolores just like doubling up now and there's two Doloreses and so and who are the other people inside? Uh, who are the other hosts that she rescued the host brains? So yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I, I'm sorry this was also a fragmented approach to explaining season two. Is there anything interesting in my notes? Um, Oh, they did cold opens in season two uh, that I kind of liked. Zombie Clementine, uh, Drew Bender, Zardos, uh, Mr. DNA is stealing your data. Yeah. Sex robot, sex robot, sex robot, sex robot. Anyway, I'm just, this is interesting, just reading my notes, but... Yeah, I mean, again, it's just there's this oh, phase space. I really like that. That was a uh, a reference that that's in that's a drastic not a Jurassic Park reference per se, but uh, I believe Grant says it in the movie or in the book about uh, maybe it's in the book. I don't know. I shouldn't have gone down this road. I don't remember what the point was. Anyway, Attack of the Clones. Tessa Thompson is a great bad guy. Back up your data. Two-headed boy. Robo Heaven. Ben Barnes is naked. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff going on. I'm curious what the other West Worlds are. The other uh, the other Parks are. I should say. And so I guess that's going into season three tonight, kind of my hopes and dreams questions. Where... Because at the end of season two, they send the coordinates for where the robo-heaven is to not to... Because basically it was like, we're going to send all this backup data to Delos, but Dolores sent it somewhere else. So where is that? Um, What were the other parks? And I don't know. I'm just... It's exciting. So season three has eight episodes. It's set in the real world. Uh, Aaron Paul is kind of the, he plays kind of a grunt human construction worker in this. And he feels like he's going to be the central main character in this season flanked by Dolores, uh, Evan Rachel Wood and Maeve because spoilers, she somehow gets out. I mean, you see Sylvester and Lutz look at her corpse and, and they like it, it basically like, you know, that she's going to come back alive. Like Sandy Newton uh, Maeve dies, making sure that her daughter gets into the robo heaven and is the robo Eden and is safe. So then it's like, what, where does she go from here? And I'm so curious what they're going to do with Ed Harris and the man in black. Like if he's been a host, uh, the perfect, the perfect human host hybrid. I almost feel like he's gonna be a good guy in this season which again I think is such a great I feel like with TV shows you can do these kind of great reversals of concepts and stuff and yeah is Dolores gonna like is Dolores gonna learn she was never human but is she gonna gain her humanity back after season two's uh, vengeful leader role like is Aaron Paul's character gonna help her gain back her humanity in a sense or find that balance and it's interesting like are we going to see cuz again going into Westworld season 2 I assume that we would kind of see the more global effects of the park being shut down but you I mean the the season ends with everyone finally leaving and you know and Dolores getting out of the park and stuff like that and so I'm curious if in season 3 they're going to show people's reactions to all this stuff happening. I mean, that's been the, again, the parallels and stuff to Jurassic Park. It's sort of, we never really got to see a more bird's eye view of, especially the original park. I mean, because it never even opened, but even in, you know, Jurassic World, you see a bit of it at the beginning of Fallen Kingdom with the DPG and all that stuff. To the point of Westworld 2 is that like, which I think season three is going to explore, that Westworld was only for the super rich Uh, There was no coupon day. (laughs) And, yeah, so maybe we won't see, you know, what what does Westworld mean to somebody who can't afford, I don't know, $25,000? They they say somewhere it's, I don't know, I think it was $40,000 a day in season one, how much it is to go. So it's like, clearly you and I aren't going to Westworld. Jurassic Park is cheaper than Westworld. That's crazy. Uh, (laughs) I just had that realization. So, yeah, I'm so curious what... And again, so much of season two was, you know, who's more human, the human or the host? And so I wonder what season three, season three is about, or I i don't know what it's about, but is it this idea of like hosts finally seeing, but Dolores already saw the real world in season two. So is it about her taking over the world and people trying to stop her? I don't know. Everyone... Let me know. I was also saying, too, that if Westworld actually existed in the real world, there'd be so much more branding. I don't think it would be Westworld and Shogun World. It would be Star Wars Land and and Harry Potter World, you know. But uh, if you had to create your own park to go live in, what would you do? I would obviously choose Jurassic Park. And I have a headcanon theory that in the Westworld universe or the Crichton universe, which all this exists, Jurassic Park was real. Uh, and, then, and then maybe this is an alternate timeline where Jurassic World never existed, but in the Westworld world, Jurassic Park never opened, obviously, as the events of the first movie. But then people like the idea of that was so beautiful and fascinating that one of the parks in the, you know, in Delos, the Delos company is a Jurassic Park world where, you know, uh, this park opens and you get to go to the, you know, I don't know. That seems... That's a hat on a hat, maybe, but (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, let me know if you're excited, if you're watching season three. uh, Let me know what you thought of season two. If you liked season two uh, more than season one, I want to hear those thoughts. And by the I mean, this is going to come out and then literally I'm going to watch season three. So both of these will kind of be up in your feed one after the other. So I hope you enjoy both and please listen. And yeah, the recaps, I don't think they're going to be super long. But I just want, again, it's that idea of I wanted to do this water cooler thing with the show. And now actually having sat and watched two seasons of Westworld in two weeks, the only question I have left is, are we human or are we dancer? So with that, I'll see you in season three. And thanks for listening.